Father, we know that what you desire from us are lives that bring you honor. So I pray that the praises that we sing today aren't just something that happened only on a Sunday morning, but our lives are a sacrifice to you throughout the week and the ways that we interact with the world, with people that are um, dying around us and have no hope. We pray that you would draw people to your fold because of what they see in us. We know that's what you've called us to do and be about. So we, we look forward to what you're going to do today through your word. We know that your word will change us. So we pray that you would help us to hear from you today. We're so thankful um, for all that you've done and ask that you would do your work in us now in Christ's name. Amen. Wow, how wonderful that was this morning. Amen. You know, there are many times where uh, we begin to worship, and uh, I say in my heart, man, I, I wish that this would never end. And uh, I believe this morning you're going to experience multiple moments where you'll say, I wish this would never end. And uh, one of them is about to happen as we hear uh, from the word um, preached by Dr. Lutzer. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm just going to read a short bit of a biography off the back of one of the books that you can get right in the back of the auditorium at the end of the service, uh, if you so choose. A little bit of a biography and then uh, a personal thought. But um, it says here that Dr. Lutzer is Pastor Emeritus of the Moody Church in Chicago, where he served for over 35 years. A renowned theologian, he was a winning author, uh, award-winning author, uh, featured speaker, on three radio programs that can still be heard on more than 700 radio stations in the United States and around the world. Dr. Lutzer and his wife, Rebecca, live in the Chicago area and have three grown children and eight grandchildren. That's a legacy there. Amen? Those are the, uh, the facts on a bio, but uh, you know, um, at our church, we're always about being uh, eminently respectful, right? And always appropriate. Um, there are other tests that we have for whether or not uh, somebody is uh, faithful. We see uh, in the book of Colossians a, a verse that is printed on the wall as you come in that uh, main entrance up here. It says, and we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, I labor and strive according to his power. This is Paul speaking here, which mightily works within me. One of the things that uh, you can't see when you're reading a book is the heart of the individual who wrote that. And uh, yesterday we had the privilege of being able to have a meal with Dr. Lutzer. And uh, during the course of that meal, it was our privilege to watch as a, a man that is still impassioned with the word of God was uh, able to share with us things that were enlightening and caused us to crave being here this morning. Uh, but also during the course of that meal, he invited our, our server to church. Uh, he was eager to proclaim the gospel uh, and still took time for each one of our uh, simple questions uh, without showing any uh, bother. Uh, a guy that uh, still now desires to minister. And in our hearts, that's the test. Amen? To stay faithful to the end. And so I, I'm very privileged right now to introduce to you uh, Dr. Erwin Lutzer. Would you please come, sir? Thank we are you so, so much. God bless you. Can I pray? And, uh, uh, would you please? You yeah. Please. 
Father, we are blessed to be here this morning, and we are always blessed to uh, hear from your word, but especially privileged this morning to hear it preached uh, by Dr. Lutz. We pray that you give him strength, Father, that uh, he'd be able to herald the word, but also share those things that you've laid on his heart. Pray that you give him strength to do that now in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Is my microphone working well? Can you hear me? I always keep my eye on the people in the back row because uh, they're the ones that have to hear the message the most. <laughs> you know, I just want to say this, that this is an absolutely remarkable church, and I mean that. You know, I was watching some of you folks come in here, and I couldn't believe it. I was going to take out my cell phone and begin taking pictures and then putting them on Facebook or something. Many of you are bringing your Bibles. Wow. You know, that's remarkable. And by the way, speaking of bringing your Bibles, tonight, is it at 5 o'clock, Pastor? I don't want this microphone to get uh, balled up here because you need to hear me. Five o'clock tonight, did you know something? You woke up this morning and you know what you said to yourself? You said, I'm going to the morning service, but we don't go to church Sunday evening. Well, you are tonight. <laughs> if you're thinking to yourself, I don't want to go, I'm not going to go to church, reject that thought in the name of Jesus. <laughs> you can lean over to your spouse right now and say, we're going tonight. I'm speaking on the topic, when the state becomes God. And I expect you to be here. Even if you live in a place called Kaiser, there's a, there's a couple out there. Kaiser, I know something about Kaiser Willem, but what in the world is Kaiser? But they're coming back. I told them in the name of Jesus that they should. And so you're coming back 5 o'clock tonight. Now, I do need to begin by bringing you greetings from the wonderful city of Chicago, that city of righteousness and love and truth and justice. <laughs> I don't know whether or not the news from Chicago gets this far. But last winter we had what was known as the polar vortex. I mean, that was really, it was really cold. It, you know, according to the media, and if it's in the media, you know that it's true. <laughs> according to the media, if you can catch this, it was so cold one day that some of our politicians were actually seen with their hands in their own pockets. Am I going too fast for some of you? <laughs> I bring you greetings from that city, and if you come back tonight, you'll also have the privilege of, uh, I'll, I'll be presenting greetings from a very famous evangelist who's in heaven today, today, whose name is Billy Graham. How many of you have heard of Billy Graham? Can I see it? About 140 of you. All that tonight. Well, and uh, there's so much else that could be said, but, but a remarkable church and the worship service. If I were living in, where are we, Salem, I'd come to church here. <laughs> and you'd better invite your friends to come to church because the Spirit of God is here. Well, it's my privilege today to speak to you on the topic of how to survive a storm. Because even though I don't know you, I do need to say that I know something about you. 
Either you're going to go into a storm, you're in one, or you are coming out of them because all of us go through storms. And I love it, by the way. Is it still legal in Oregon to say amen? I mean, that's fantastic. We can still say amen. You know, the fact is this, that all of us have storms in life, every single one of us, and uh, it may be a relational storm, trouble in your marriage. It may be a health storm. Maybe recently the doctor said something to you that you thought could be true only of other people, and you're going through that particular storm in your life. Storms, financial storms, we all have them. And today what we're going to learn to do is to how to survive a storm and the text of Scripture, as you already know, and by the way, your creative team here, I mean, they've even got a picture of the storm on your bulletin. Wow. And what we're going to do is to turn to the 14th chapter of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 14, where we are going to learn how to survive a storm and the seven lessons that you are going to learn today, and you can write them down, and they're already partially, almost completely written down for you. Sometime this week, I want you to laminate them, and I want you to put them on your refrigerator. Because the day is coming, if it isn't here now already, when you are going to absolutely need these lessons. And to think that you have come here for this moment, and it's my responsibility to speak, it's your responsibility to listen, and I've been praying that we shall end at the very same time. <laughs> Let's read the text of Scripture, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up into the mountain by himself to pray. When he was coming down, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Is there somebody here today who says, the wind is against me? Because storms sometimes come to us one at a time, but oftentimes even together, and you say, all the wind is against me. Well, I have news for you. God is going to enable you to survive this storm. Are you ready for the seven lessons? Amen. Amen. And feel free to say amen, because if it's still legal, we can still do it. <laughs> Number one, remember this, that our storms often come to us in obedience to Christ. Our storms often come to us in obedience to Christ. Were the disciples in the will of God? Of course they were in the will of God. Don't you wish that God would come to you and say, get into that boat and go to the other side and that you would know the will of God with that kind of clarity? We could all wish for that. And yet right in the midst of obedience to Jesus, the disciples experienced one of the greatest storms they have ever experienced, had ever experienced on Galilee, doing the will of God. We sometimes think to ourselves that if we do the will of God, our pathway is going to be, uh, you know, lined with beautiful flowers and, and everything is going to turn out well. What I want you to know today is that the holiest path is not always the smoothest path. Sometimes it is the rough paths where God is most clearly seen. 
Let me put it to you very clearly. Jesus sent them into a storm that he himself had created. He sent them into this storm by divine design. You may be in a storm today. It doesn't mean that you're out of the will of God. It doesn't necessarily mean that you've married the wrong one. I know a guy in Chicago who was married by a judge. Now he wished he'd asked for a jury, actually. <laughs> we often encounter storms in obedience to Christ. Take heart in your storm. But there's a second lesson, and that is storms should remind us of the providence or the promises of God. Storms should remind us of the promises of God. You say, well, where's that in the text? By the way, your pastor, whom I got to know yesterday, what a man of integrity and obedience to the word of God. So, yeah, let's give him a hand, shall we? So whenever he's preaching, you should say, Pastor, where's that in the text? Where is that in the text that you should listen and obey and think about and be reminded of the promises of God? Well, Jesus told them, get into the boat and go to the other side. And if the creator of the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the oceans tells you to go to the other side, you will make it to the other side. If Jesus said that you're going to meet me there, he is a man who created all things and, and there is no force that could possibly have sunk that boat. You know that uh, if you're to be hung, you'll never drown. And uh, many of these disciples, am I going too fast for some of you on this side? Many of these disciples were going to be hung, they were going to be crucified, and that had not yet happened. John had not yet written his epistles, nor the book of John. Peter had not yet experienced Pentecost and his books and um, that he would write and so forth. And, and God still had a purpose for them. And even though we're interested in security in this day and age when security is a big issue, the simple fact is this, that there is no combination of men and of demons that can put you to death if God thinks that there's still work for you to do. Ultimately, our... our uh, Futures are in God's hands. So here's what you have to do when you're encountering a storm. You go to the promises of God. Now, I was brought up in Canada in a little town, actually born on a farm out there in Canada, and we used to sing in our little church, every promise in the book is mine, every chapter, every verse, every line. Actually, that's not true. God made some promises to Abraham that don't apply to me. But there are plenty of promises that God gives us that we cleave to in the midst of our storms. Romans chapter 8, nothing shall separate you from the love of Christ. Distress, persecution, nakedness, peril, sword. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, things present, nor things to come, no other creature can separate you from the love of God. I'm thinking also, by the way, of Hebrews 13, verse 5. It comes to mind. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the Greek text, there are five negatives in that verse. I will no not leave you. I will no not forsake you. Five times God says, never, 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 never. What do you do when you're in a storm? 
You cleave to the promises of God. Well, there's a third lesson, and it might be the most important. It's the lesson that I want you to remember. Of course, I want you to remember all of them, but this lesson is absolutely critical. Even though you cannot see Jesus, Jesus can see you. Now, could the disciples see Jesus out there on the hill? Of course they couldn't. My wife and I were in Israel about a month ago or so. We crossed Galilee in a boat, and, you know, the, the hills are distant. Of course, they're called mountains. The hills are very distant, and Jesus is on one of those hills, and there's no way in the world that they'd have been able to see him in the darkness of the night. But even though they couldn't see him, he could see them. He knew the longitude and the latitude of their little boat. He knew the strength of every board. He knew the height of the waves. He knew exactly the speed of the wind. And he knows exactly where you are even when you cannot see God. And may I say to you that when push comes to shove, as it often does in life, it is more important that God see you than that you see God. I played tennis for many years with a friend of mine. His name was Mark. Now, tennis players, you have to understand, they usually don't make very good husbands because uh, <laughs> to a tennis player, love means nothing. <laughs> and he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And uh, one day he told me he was in such pain that he left the bedroom and he sat on the couch and he said, Erwin, all the faith I ever had drained from my soul. There are times that are so dark. There are times when life is so dim. Recently, someone was telling me about a friend of his, a Christian friend of his that committed suicide. And those of you who are struggling with depression, you know what I mean. When life can become so dark, by the way, will you remember that your feelings are not facts? Your feelings are not facts. What you feel is not what you are. But anyway, it can be so dark that you need the prayers of other people. But even in your darkness, God sees you in your marriage. God sees you in your need. God sees you in your health issue. God sees and God knows. So remember that. Even when we cannot see Jesus, Jesus sees us. Number four, fourth lesson is simply this, that Jesus comes to us at the right time. He comes to us at the right time. I'm picking up the text again and I'm reading it. My, I got new glasses, but they're the wrong prescription, so I have to hold this very carefully. And on the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus comes to us at the right time. When did he come to the disciples? Four o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock when they were the most weary. And by the way, Galilee isn't that big a lake. Depending on where you are, it might only be seven or so miles across. And, and here they're toiling all night, as another account gives. They are working the oars. They're doing what they can. 
and at four in the morning they still aren't on the other side. And when they were most desperate, when they were most fearful, it is then Jesus appears. And Jesus comes to us at the right time, at the point of desperation, by the way. And one of the things that we have to discover is that one of the reasons that Christians don't pray is because they are not yet desperate. We need desperate people. My wife and I know a woman who made her life in an immoral lifestyle, and she said she used to pray, Oh, God, get me out of here. But he never did. Until one time she said she got on her knees and she said, Oh, God, either get me out of this lifestyle or kill me. But to one of the other. And she meant it. And that was the day that she walked free. The ability to know that Jesus comes to us when we are the most weary, when we are the most desperate, when we need the most help. He is the just-in-time Jesus. Remember, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, and as the knife was there gleaming in the morning light, the angel of the Lord said, Abraham, Abraham. And of course, he told Abraham not to do it. And then it says that there was a ram caught in the thicket, just in time, at the point of our desperation. And you know, in this nation, we are very desperate because of all that is happening, and yet many Christians are not really praying. We are not repenting because we are not yet desperate. For many Christians, it is not yet 4 o'clock in the morning. We continue to roll, and we don't recognize our great need. So please remember that Jesus comes to us at the right time. Number five, our fears might be Jesus in disguise. Not in disguise, like fly disguise, like I did yesterday, but rather disguise. That is camouflage. Jesus is coming to them, and they are fearful because they say it is a ghost. And they crowd in fear. Now, the simple fact is this, that they did not know that Jesus was coming to them in the storm. And you and I oftentimes don't recognize Jesus in the storm. And we forget the fact that the wind that brought them the waves is the same wind that brought them Jesus. But you and I don't recognize Jesus in our storms frequently, do we? Not immediately, at least. A number of years ago, my wife Rebecca gave me an article written by a couple that had a special needs child. This article talked about the fact that when this child was born, the couple was angry, angry at God. Why us? They were a high-powered couple, and now God gave them a child which needed 24-hour care, seven days a week, ruining their lives, basically, they saw it. But this article was written now 14 years later. And in this article, they said, we didn't recognize it at the time, but Jesus came to us in that child. Jesus revealed to us our selfishness. He revealed to us what the real priorities of life really are. And we didn't see that, but now we do, that Jesus came to us in the life of that little child. One day I said to my friend Mark, before he died of cancer, about two weeks before, I said, Mark, have you ever thanked God for your cancer? He said, oh, yes. He said, I thank him every day. He said, heaven was a very theoretical place, but now he said, it's very real. 
But I can tell you that when he was first diagnosed with cancer, he didn't see Jesus in it at all. When we would play tennis together, when we'd be finished, he'd sit down and he'd talk to me about his fears and we would cry together. And he never saw Jesus in this. But finally he came to accept the fact that Jesus was coming to him, and of course he was on his way to Jesus, as a result of this cancer, and he began to see Jesus even there. If you're taking notes today, God is going to bless you in ways that are totally unpredictable. But let me give you something that you should write down. It's actually a quote from Elizabeth Elliot. In acceptance, there is peace. In acceptance, there is peace. Don't continue to strive against the Almighty. Yes, we pray and we leave our concerns with him. And by the way, I've just decided sitting there today that that's what we're going to do today at the end of the service. We're going to give God all of our storms. Some of you are going to leave here so much lighter than you came in because you're not going to leave with your storm anymore. Aren't you glad you came here today? So let us remember that our fears might be Jesus in disguise. Jesus is there in your storm. Number six, the water that threatens to be over our heads is under his feet. The water that threatens to be over your head is under Christ's feet. What is it that the disciples feared? Well, of course, they feared drowning. They feared going down in the water. And here Jesus is walking across the water as if he is walking across a marble floor. And he's walking with a sense of confidence and triumph because Jesus has triumphed over everything. He is the triumphant one. I want you to remember for a few moments uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Jesus is above all principalities and all powers and every name that has been named both in heaven and on earth, and he is the head of all things to the church. Jesus Christ absolutely, totally, completely triumphant over your storm. No matter what you encounter, Jesus is in charge. And uh, the fears that you have are something that Jesus has already conquered, and we're going to trust him to conquer it for us today also. So number six is the water that threatens to be over your head is already under his feet. See, the Je see Jesus as entirely triumphant. Number seven is simply this, our ability to walk our ability to walk depends on the focus of our eyes. Our ability to walk depends upon the focus of our eyes. I'm picking up the text now in verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, Brothers and sisters, underline that word saw. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried. Now, I just need to pause and say that there's a time for long prayers. I've prayed my share. Your pastor has prayed his share. 
We've all prayed long prayers. But when you're drowning, you don't have time for a long prayer. So three words, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now I want to ask you that if Peter had kept his eyes on Jesus, of course he could have walked across the whole sea. If you had had your cell phone there and you'd have been taking pictures and videos, you could have seen two people triumph over the sea. Peter and Jesus. And, and Peter began to see the wind, and that's your temptation, and that's my temptation. Now, we as pastors sometimes preach against Peter. Oh, you know, if Peter had kept his eyes on Jesus, he could have walked across the lake. As a matter of fact, I just said that. <laughs> but the fact is also this, that we should not be too critical of him because at least he was willing to get out of the boat. And there are many Christians, you know, who, uh, who have never failed in life because they've never tried anything. I think, frankly, pastor, that a wet Peter is better than a dry Thomas. <laughs> There's no such thing as doing something great for God unless there is some risk that is involved. And Peter was willing to get out of the boat and to go to Jesus. God bless Peter for getting out of the boat. You know, when I think of this ministry, by the way, and talking with your pastor and getting just a little quick thumbnail sketch of the history, it's wonderful that your pastoral leadership team has been willing to get out of a boat and do something that involves risk because all ministry, if it's significant, involves risk. So Peter gets out of the boat. But here's what I want to ask you today. What was Peter's greatest problem? Was Peter's problem the, the depth of the waves or the depth of the water? Was it the height of the waves? Was it the speed of the wind? Of course not, because Jesus has all those things under his control. It doesn't matter to Jesus whether the wind was 20 miles an hour or 50 miles an hour. He has it all. It doesn't matter how deep the water was. His biggest problem was a lack of faith. And Jesus said to him, why do you doubt in my presence? I am here, lack of faith, seeing the wind and not seeing Jesus. Tony Evans is a great preacher, and some of you have listened to him on the radio. I hope you have. He's a friend of mine, and he tells this story, which I verified because I wanted to get it right. He said, I have it right. He and his wife, Lois, were on a cruise, and over the intercom in the ship, there came a message that said, we're headed into a storm. Please buckle up. And uh, his wife, Lois, didn't like that very well, so she called back, and she wanted to talk to the captain. She spoke to his assistant and said, why is it that we're going into the storm? Why don't we just uh, put down anchor, wait the storm out, and then continue? And the assistant said, I'll talk to the captain and I'll get back to you. So a few minutes later, the assistant calls back and says, there are two things that the captain wants to say to you. And I'm sure that they were said very diplomatically. <laughs> but the first was this, he's in charge and you're not. <laughs> but the second thing that he said is this, and I want you to write this down and I want you to remember it on the day of your death. 
When you're about to go from this life to the next, I want you to be able to remember this sentence that I'm giving you. And these, this couple over here, both of them are taking notes. You ready to write it down? The captain said, tell that woman that this ship was built with this storm in mind. And my dear friend, when you trust Jesus Christ who died on the cross, who was raised again and who was taken into heaven triumphantly and is seated at the right hand of God the Father who also maketh intercession for us, you trust him. And when he died on the cross and was raised, he died and was raised with your storm in mind. And isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus actually came to them in the storm? You know, he could have stayed on the shore. As a matter of fact, there are miracles that he did. He was on the shore and, you know, just said, peace be still, and the whole storm would have quit. But Jesus very graciously comes to the disciples in the midst of their storm. And Jesus just doesn't stay in heaven, though we know, of course, he is in heaven. But he doesn't just stay there, but by his spirit, he comes to us personally in our storm and says, I am here with you. But it's been my experience, and perhaps it's been yours as well, that there are some people who will not trust Jesus in their storm. They will not trust Jesus in their storm until their little boat is smashed against the shore, and they're really desperate, and then they go to Jesus. And that's better than not going to him at all. But how much better it is for us when we understand as believers that we are in the hands of Christ to say, Jesus, I am going to trust you to take me all the way to the other side of the lake. And there at the other side of the lake, we will be in the presence of Christ. As a matter of fact, that's what it says in the book of Hebrews. Jesus is the forerunner. He has run into heaven, and the forerunner idea, actually there in Hebrews, is that ancient ships would be brought in a forerunner would run ahead with a rope, and then with an ancient winch, the ship would be brought to shore so that even though the boards were creaking and things were out of, out of whack already, the point is it would be brought safely into the harbor. And Jesus takes us all the way to the other side. Now, I'm going to ask you to give Jesus your storm. I want you to think of the three greatest storms. You can write them down or you can think about them. For many of you ladies, God bless you, it may be your husband. <laughs> and what you want to do is we're going to give God our storms and we're going to take from our shoulders all of the worries, all of the concerns, and we're going to cast those worries and we're going to cast those concerns on the shoulders of Jesus because the governments of the world are upon his shoulders so he can handle them. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a time of silent prayer in just a moment for you to give your storm to God. Some of you are really going to struggle. You won't be able to do it here in church because it's too difficult. It'll take a lot more time. A woman once told me, Pastor Lutzer, you told us not to be filled with anxiety. If I got rid of all of my anxious thoughts, I would have absolutely nothing to think about. <laughs> it's hard to cast your care upon him. But I'm going to give you an illustration. 
This past uh, year, my wife and I, when we were flying to Israel, we flew from Chicago to uh, Frankfurt with American Airlines. Now, of course, you have to use your imagination in this illustration because you can't do this today, but years ago, before security was an issue, it might have been more realistic, but let's use our imaginations. After we take off from O'Hare and we begin across the ocean, what if I begin to say, you know, I wonder whether or not those American airline pilots may be sleeping. And so I talk to a flight attendant and I say, you know, would you check to see if those pilots are awake? So she comes back and she says, yeah, they're awake. About an hour later, I think to myself, you know, I've known people who have fallen asleep in an hour. <laughs> and so I ask her, you know, would you check to see if the pilots are awake? So she checks and she comes and she tells me, yeah, they're awake. And then we're halfway across the ocean and I'm asking her, now when does this flight get to Frankfurt? And how often do you fly and we're having that? And now that we're talking, would you check to see if the pilots are awake? <laughs> and she becomes exasperated with me and she says, let me make a deal with you. I'll pour you a cup of coffee if you promise to step outside and drink it. <laughs> and then she says to me, you have insulted the pilots of American Airlines. And I would have. Brothers and sisters, would you look into my eyes for just a moment? You and I insult God every single day. We give him our problems and we say, oh, have you, has he done anything about it yet? Has he solved it? Has he brought this kid back? Has, has, is this like that? And, and then, and then we give it to him again. Well, you know, maybe he didn't hear me yesterday, so we prayed the same prayers over again. And, and it's okay, I'm sure, to repeat the same prayer. But today I want you to give your storm to God, and if it comes back on your shoulders tomorrow morning, I don't want you to invite it back. I want you to praise God, read a psalm of praise, and say, Father, I thank you that this storm is out of my hands and is now in yours. I refuse to have it back on my shoulders. And you do it in your time, in your way. But I'm going to trust you all the way to the other side of the lake. Are you willing to give God your storm that way? Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, today we want to thank you for these dear people who have come with their Bibles and their Bibles open to learn from your word. They come to be transformed. They come to worship Lord, would you bless them? I have no idea what the needs are, but Lord, you do. You see them. You see the depth of the waves. You see the strength of the storm, its speed. You know their boats and their boards on the dough boats and all the issues. Would you come to us now, Father? And I ask that you might deliver your people right now. Now I want you to silently pray. I want you to give God your storm. Would you please? Now I'll close. And Father, I pray for those who have never trusted Christ as Savior. Help them to see today that in the midst of their 
journey. May they trust you to be the captain of their ship. Cause them to believe for your glory. And for those, Father, who are struggling, and we know it is a struggle, help them to overcome that maybe this afternoon, maybe tomorrow, to take out an hour or two to finally, totally, give you their storm. Help us, we ask, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'll see you all at 5 o'clock. <laughs>